The third lesson today comes from John's Gospel, the 17th chapter, verses 6 through 19. This is Jesus praying to God. Before he moves into the passion sequence, he's praying for, for us to be unified, for us to be of one heart, one mind, and that in the end, that, that may end up bringing us joy, and that Jesus' joy may be made complete. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. The song Living on a Prayer is Bon Jovi's second chart-topping single from their 12-time platinum album, Slippery When Wet. Written by John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, and Desmond Child, the single released in late 1986 was well-received at both rock and pop radio, and its music video was given heavy rotation on MTV, giving the band their first number one on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Chart and their second consecutive number one Billboard Hot 100 hit. The song has become the band's signature song, topping fan-voted lists and recharting around the world decades after its release. The original 45 RPM single release sold 800,000 copies in the United States, and in 2013 was certified triple platinum for over 3 million digital downloads. This came from Wikipedia, and this is just the first short snippet of an extremely long article about this one song that Bon Jovi had in 1986. Folks, this is an important song in pop culture. It's been everywhere. This song is heard at almost every major sporting event at some point in the game, it's been found in advertisements over the years. Whether you realize it or not, I am positive that you have heard this song, at least the opening bass guitar riffs. And as soon as you start hearing that, you start wanting to dance, and you start humming along with it, and you get ready to start singing along with it. It's one of those feel-good type of songs that gets you energized and puts a smile on your face. But I think one of the reasons why it's grown so much in popularity and maintained that popularity over the years 
is because it has to do with the lyrics. Those lyrics have a way of connecting with us on a deep level. See, the song starts talking out about a, a man and a woman early on in their relationship, and they don't have a lot of material things in their life yet. Things are kind of tough for them, and they're having trouble. Tommy's down on his luck, and, and Gina's working at a diner all day, and, and they're hoping that things are going to get better. They're going to get easier. Then we end up getting to that famous chorus that has crossed the lips of so many fans throughout the years. I was going to sing it if Don had memorized the earlier parts to the organ, but he didn't, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa, living on a prayer. Take my hand and we'll make it, I swear. Whoa, living on a prayer. Now, wouldn't y'all like to hear me sing that? <laughs> These two don't have much. They don't have much, but they're living on a prayer. Sounds like Gina and Tommy are searching for happiness in the same places that we often try to find happiness ourselves. They've been told somewhere along in their life that maybe one day there will be money or that life may not be so hard. All they have to do is just hang on to that love that they have for one another and they'll be able to survive. The more I've listened to this song throughout the years, the more I, I hear that hope at the beginning of the song but as the song progresses, that hope slowly begins to fade away. With every passing year, with every passing verse of this song, that the money just doesn't come and that life just doesn't seem to be getting easier for the two of them, that hope that they had early on in their relationship, it just starts fading away. They're searching for happiness down a road that may never actually lead to happiness, but at least they're living on a prayer. That seems to be an interesting phrase, doesn't it? Living on a prayer. I don't think Gina and Tommy are living on a prayer in the same way that we as Christians probably should be. See, living on a prayer in their sense refers to clinging on to some sort of hope that exists outside of yourself. A lot of times this phrase, living on a prayer, really just means that we're putting our nose to the grindstone and, and keeping right on keeping on and, and maybe we'll come out on the other side okay. So often we hear people talking about living on a prayer and and this is what they're actually talking about. It's that put your head down and plow right through it to the other side mentality. But it doesn't always work, does it? Sometimes you get beat up when you put your head down and you try to plow through to the other side. Sometimes it doesn't work out so well. That mentality, often though, it just leads to a survival attitude. At least it did for Gina and Tommy. They didn't really seem happy. They may or may not have actually even been in love by the end of the song, but at least they're still living on a prayer. But they just don't seem happy. They weren't thriving. They were living in the midst of this someday, somehow, maybe it'll get better attitude. What about us? We're Christians, right? What about us? Are we just surviving? Are we living in the midst of a someday, somehow, maybe it'll get better attitude? Are we just waiting on this day to come? It's not very often that we focus on the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. It's a rather weird passage as far as passages in the Bible go, and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of strange stuff in that book. It's a passage that just consists of a prayer, a prayer being prayed by Jesus. It's not too often that we hear Jesus praying in such a long way. Jesus teaches us how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, right? Seems pretty basic, straight to the point, not real long, something we can easily remember. That's an explicit teaching of, of Jesus teaching us how to pray. But what we see in this passage 
is Jesus teaching us what his will for us is and then giving us a model of how to pray for other people. Jesus is talking to God here, and he's asking for God to protect us, to protect all of us once he has ascended to be with God. He's asking God to protect us that we may be one, that we may be unified the same way that Jesus and God the Father are one, the same way they're unified. Jesus is telling each one of us that we need to be a whole lot closer and much more of one mind than many of us are a lot of our lives. Jesus is telling us that maybe we shouldn't be so caught up in all of those little details that turn into the big issues in our existence. Jesus is telling us that maybe we should be more caught up in a lot of those little details that probably should be the the big focus in our lives so that we could help God in bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. Maybe we should be pushing for those issues instead of allowing all those other issues to be pushing us further apart from one another. What are some of those divisive issues that we have going on in our lives that we get so caught up in? What are some of those issues that end up putting love and unity and peace at risk? What are those issues that Jesus knew that each one of us would be facing over 2,000 years later? What are those issues that he knew we would need him to be praying about for each one of us to get through? What about politics? What about how politics makes children of God get nasty with one another? What about two people on opposing sides of a social issue coming together at the, the communion rail? And sharing in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That which is supposed to unify all of us. And then a couple of hours later, going at one another's throats because they don't agree with where the other one comes down on a particular issue. What about things like immigration or welfare or maybe even a terrorist waiting to hear if he'll be put to death for committing murder? Where do the people of God come down on those issues? Where should we come down on those issues? Sometimes things get difficult to see what may be right and what may be wrong. Sometimes the water gets so muddy that maybe we don't really want to step into it because we might get dirty. Muddy water can make a big mess. With all these things going on in the world and all these things going on in our lives that make things so messy, it's easy for us to just go into survival mode. To put our heads down and just try to plow through until we get to the other side where things may not be so messy. Maybe if we don't see it or if we don't deal with it directly, maybe we won't have to deal with it at all. Maybe we can make it to heaven without having to actually deal with any of these tough issues. There's a problem with this. There's a problem with not dealing with these things. Jesus didn't live that way. And we're called to live like Jesus. I think Jesus knew that his followers were going to have to wade through some muddy water at some point in their life if they were planning on following in his footsteps. And I think that Jesus knew that there is sin in the world and that that sin would still be giving us trouble all these many years later. And I think that one of the biggest threats to the people who follow Jesus is a lack of unity. Jesus knew that the continuation of this movement that he had begun, the continuation of the redemption of the world, 
rested on whether or not his disciples could find enough common ground to stay unified. But Jesus didn't just stop with praying for unity. He took it a step further. You see, unity is good. It's necessary. But unity isn't the good news. Remember Gina and Tommy. They were living on a prayer for their survival. They were living on a prayer to make it from one day to the next. This prayer that Jesus is praying in the 17th chapter isn't so short-sighted. He prays for unity. But then he prays for us to thrive. He isn't talking about thriving with material things. He isn't talking about thriving with the stuff that we can accumulate in our lives. He's talking about thriving in our souls. Jesus is praying to the Father that we will have joy. That joy that is in Jesus' heart, he is praying that we will find a way to have that joy in ours. Could you imagine what that joy would feel like? Can you imagine how fulfilling it would be in our lives if we had the joy that Jesus had in his heart and ours? You ever felt that kind of joy? Have you ever gone out to the parking lot mission on a Saturday morning here in Florence? Have you ever passed out bread to people who were hungry? Have you ever read scripture to people whose souls are hungering for scripture? Have you ever felt that kind of joy? Folks, you do that. You'll find that that's the kind of joy that Jesus is praying that we'll have in our hearts. That's what it means to actually be living on a prayer, not just surviving on a hope. Have you ever taught Sunday school to kids? Have you ever read the stories in the Bible to the children in the church? I hope you have. I sure hope you have, or I hope that you plan to do so. Every time we have a baptism, you make that commitment that you're going to. But if you've ever taught the stories of Adam and Eve, of Abraham, of Moses, David and Goliath, of Jesus and his disciples, of Paul and Peter and Barnabas spreading the news after Jesus had been raised from the dead, if you've ever taught these stories to the children and you've seen their faces light up with excitement, you'll know that joy in your heart. You'll know what it means to be living on a prayer, not just surviving on hope. Have you ever found yourself realizing that you needed to make a deeper commitment to God? Have you ever found yourself feeling like you needed something in your heart that was bigger than anything you could buy or anything you could find on whatever trip you wanted to take? Have you ever found yourself asking God for forgiveness and putting yourself in front of Him, ready to be used as whatever instrument He wants to use you for to build His kingdom? Have you ever found yourself on your knees saying, Here I am, Lord. Put me to doing what you want me to do. Put me in the midst of the people that you want me to be around. Use me to build your kingdom. Or lay me aside so that I won't get in the way. Let me do stuff for you. Or let me suffer for you. Let me be exalted so that I can point people to you. Or if my ego gets too big, humble me so that I don't get in your way. Everything I have is yours. Everything that I am is for you. If you've ever found yourself in that position where you're laying yourself in the hands of your God, you'll know that joy that Jesus is praying for you to know. You'll find so much joy in your heart that you can't help but go out into the world and tell other people about it. 
I think Jesus knew that there would be a lot of things that we would have to face in our lives that would cause us to bang our heads against one another. The more we focus on those things, the more we allow those things to become the most important things in our life, the less joy we're going to have in our life. The more we just try to survive on a hope that maybe one day things will get easier, maybe one day things will get better, the less we're actually going to be living on that prayer that Jesus is praying for us. Whatever you have going on in your life right now, whatever it is that's keeping that joy out of your heart, let it go. Let it go. We don't have to hold on to those issues that we've got. We don't have to worry if we'll make it or not. We've got each other. And we've also got God. And that's a lot. For love, we'll give it a shot. So leave this place today. Go live for God. Don't worry about just surviving. God's not calling us to survive. Focus on that joy that Jesus has prayed that you will have in your hearts. And you'll find yourself thriving. If you can focus on living with that joy in your heart, you'll find that you're already living eternally on a prayer.